Wow, that was wonderful singing. I think Satan could preach after that. I think he could tell the truth. Maybe for a moment. I'm honored to be here this morning to be able to proclaim this boast-free gospel in Romans chapter 3. John, thank you for leading us this morning. And we're praying for the Lord's will to be done. Um, We're going to have a members meeting tonight uh, to discuss John's ministry among us, and then we're going to vote next Sunday morning in our our morning worship service, and we'll be praying as we um, seek the Lord together in the next week. If you have a prayer slip or visitor slip, if you pass that to the center aisle, uh, we would like to collect those. We'll be praying for you this week. I've been held by Scotty Smith's book, Everyday Prayers, 365 Days to a Gospel-Centered Faith. And in one of the prayers, he, he wrote something that was helpful in applying the truths that I'm learning in Romans. Gracious Father, I'll not be sucker punched by my arrogance and pride. I need the gospel today as much as I did that first day you declared me to be righteous in your sight. I trust you in this moment that for all the grace I'll need to live for your glory this various day. I like that phrase, I will not be sucker punched by my pride. You ever felt sucker punched by your pride? I sure have. The book of Romans has brought us face to face with God's great salvation. And we cannot rightly understand what God has done through the gospel and at the same time stroke our pride and self-sufficiency. Romans has brought us through a a tragic journey of the human condition And really, I think it's the most important letter you could ever read because it really calls for a decision as we look at the mass of humanity uh, going downward. Paul describes that. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it's not a take it or leave it message. Christianity is not a message where you could hold it up against other belief systems that you think are right in your own own mind. I was reminded of this this week in in my study when I heard about um, uh, just an illustration that Francis Schaeffer gave about this mushroom picker who went out to pick mushrooms and in time became an expert. And he was, because you want to know what you're picking when you eat mushrooms. Otherwise, you'll be in the ER or worse. And so uh, he wrote a book on how to identify the right kind of mushrooms. And in time, there was this guy who showed some interest and came to him and said, I'd like to go out mushroom picking with you. And he said, well, here's my book. You really need to become familiar with it. And, and uh, then we'll go out together and learn what to look for. And the, the man who was showing interest, he he said, I'm not really interested in reading books. I just, I just want to follow my gut, and I'll pick the mushrooms that I think uh, I like. And uh, the expert said, you do that, and you're going to be dead. And I think the same is true with Romans. Paul holds up the way to life. And if we're going to just go with our gut and do what is right in our own mind... That will only lead to our, our, our perishing. The Bible speaks of perishing. 
And the book of Romans holds up the good news to those who are perishing that you don't have to perish. God's grace is operative today. Call on the Lord Jesus Christ and follow him. Some of the key themes that we've looked at in, in Romans have been our, our depravity. Um, from chapter 1, verse 18, that the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. But so is God's righteousness. In Romans 1.17, the righteousness of God has been revealed from faith for faith for those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 3, we've looked at this important paragraph, verses 21 through 26, and we've read about our redemption, that we were on the slave market of, of our sin, and, um, and Christ came, and through his blood, we have been redeemed. Chapter 3, verse 24, his redemption through his blood. And not only that, in verse 25, we see that God propitiated himself, that he propitiated himself in the sending forth of Jesus Christ, the wrath of God was satisfied in that moment in time that those six hours on the cross as Jesus suffered and bled and died, when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's propitiation. His life, his death, his commandment keeping, his suffering and passion, a once for all payment for our sins. He propitiated the wrath of God which should rightly be upon us that we might experience God's mercy and forgiveness. Isn't that wonderful? That's the best news you could hear. Unless you want to do it your own way. Unless you want to buff your resume and present yourself that somehow you're going to make it based upon your own good works. Yeah, Jesus is nice, but he's not my all-sufficient Savior. We sang this morning, in Christ alone. And that is where salvation is found. We add nothing to it. All we can do is receive it. It's a gift. It's the gift of God. And then in verse 26, God put forth Jesus Christ as a propitiation for our sins because in his divine forbearance and his patience, he had passed over former sins. So God was in a dilemma that we don't think about very much, and that is that he's righteous and holy and somehow not judging sins through the millennium or millennia of uh, human uh, experience, that he would somehow be unjust, not dealing with it. He could just ignore it. No, God sent forth his son uh, in order that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. So these key themes in Romans, we see really the inner meaning of the cross. Wayne Grudem said that the love and justice of God were the ultimate cause of the atonement, the work of Christ on our behalf, in order that we might be one with God, right with God, righteous before God. It is not helpful for us to ask which is more important, his love or his justice. However, because without the love of God, he would never have taken any steps to redeem us. He was under un no obligation to do so. And yet without the justice of God, the specific requirement that Christ should earn our salvation by dying for our sins would not have been met. Both the love and justice of God came together at the cross. That's why we boast in the cross, not our merit. So we come to 
Romans 3.27. Then what becomes of our boasting? (laughs) What becomes of it? Anybody feel like bragging after going through these key themes in Romans? I don't. I find myself wanting to be really quiet, actually, which is tough for a preacher. What about boasting? What's the answer to that? Put your hand over your mouth and take back and be in wonder and in awe of what God has done for you through Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son. So let's unpack verses 27 and 28 this morning. And I want to answer that question then. Then what about what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded, he answers. Nobody can boast and be saved. Nobody can brag and know God's redemption properly. So boasting reveals our greatest problem. If you're following along with your insert Boasting in first, boasting reveals our greatest problem. Verse 27, what becomes of our boasting? And then if we turn across the page, or maybe perhaps at the bottom of the page you're on, to Romans 4.2, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. Maybe so, maybe to Sarah <laughs> or his friends, but Paul goes on to say, but not before God. Why is Paul concerned about boasting? Why is he concerned about it? I believe Paul sees boasting as our greatest problem and reveals our our sin like no, no other. Pride is the outward expression of inner sin. Pride is the greatest of all sins. C.S. Lewis, in his masterpiece, Mere Christianity, He wrote, there is no fault which makes a man more unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves than pride. The more we have it in ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. Lewis continued by calling it the great sin, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Immorality, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites In comparison, it was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other sin. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. So pride is the first sin. Pride is, is what welled up in Eve's heart when she said, I want to be like God and know everything he knows. And we have followed whole hog. I'm amazed at the many massive warnings in the Bible against pride. I thought about Hezekiah, who otherwise was a godly king. There was a moment in his life where he became sick at the point of death, and he prayed to the Lord, and, and God answered him and gave him a sign, and Hezekiah did not make uh, return according to the benefit done for him, for his heart was proud, the Scripture says. Therefore, wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem, but Hezekiah humbled himself uh, for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so the wrath of, of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. It's amazing how God brings um, discipline in our life when pride wells up. We lose our temper with somebody. We say, I would never do that. I think we probably ought never to say, I'll never do that. I'll never say that. I'll never be that. 
because sure enough, the Lord will bring something into our life to remind us of how weak we are and how prideful we are. The, whole, the book of Proverbs itself is filled with warnings. Chapter 8, verse 13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance in the way of evil. Chapter 11, verse 2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall, and on and on it goes. And even Jesus said in Matthew 7, Verses 21 and 22, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And what did Jesus say to these boasters? Depart from me, you never, you never knew me, or I never knew you. And John, in 1 John 2, all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, these things are passing away, but he who does the will of the Father abides forever. And even in the book of Romans, if we were to go back to chapter 1 and look at all that Paul is saying here, that this wrath of God has been revealed because of ungodliness, because of waywardness. And how is, it, how is pride seen in Romans 1? We suppress the truth. God reveals himself in magnanimous ways and we see his glory on display and then you have the audacity of claiming you don't even believe there's a God? Really? I find that incredibly irrational. When you look at the intelligent design of the creation of this world and universe to say he does not exist and that's exactly what Romans 1 says. They take the truth of God that's been revealed and suppress it. Why? Because they want to stand as authority over the word. And at the root of that is pride. The revelation of God seen in creation, the, the revelation of God seen in his word. So thankful for what the choir brought forth this morning. I love that anthem. God's word and then the ultimate revelation, his son, Jesus Christ, is suppressed, it's belittled, it's mocked, it's ignored. Instead of receiving the truth of the living God, we want to stand in judgment over it and say, well, that's not really not reasonable. Do you, do you read the Bible that way? Do you, I, I pray not that you come to a truth. You say, ah, that's not really reasonable. That really doesn't fit into my line of thinking. I really want to do it my way. That's pride. We pick through the scriptures like a walk through a buffet line selecting what we think is reasonable. That is the ultimate expression of pride. Allow the word to do its work in our life. John Piper wrote that the truth that pride suppresses, the truth that pride suppresses most is that God is greater than we are and we should be, uh, and that he should be glorified as the greatest reality in the universe and that God is the giver of all things and we should continually thank him. But we don't. We profess to be wise, chapter 1, verse 22, and become fools exchanging the glory of God, and we worship the creature rather than the creator. So not just the blatant God rejectors, pride infects the religious people, which is an ever-present danger for us who gather, is that pride would be set apart and that we would humble ourselves before the Lord. So pride is seen in religion, 
Leon Morris, a, a great Australian commentator, said that grace leaves no room for satisfaction in one's own achievement. For salvation is all of God. For the Jew, it was a matter of pride that he had received the law, a pride that he could not but regard as legitimate because no other people had received this great gift. To understand what grace and faith mean is to reject the way of pride and boasting. Let me just ask us straight up this morning, as we have looked at these wonderful themes of redemption in Romans, what do you really brag about? When it comes to your relationship with God and the successes of your life, who do you give the, the credit to? The Bible says to us that we're to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. We're to humble ourselves before him and see that he is our only hope. Not only does religion bring forth pride, but so does a moral life. We've referenced many times the Pharisee and the publican in Luke 18. And the Pharisee, really who doesn't pray, he's just maybe going over his credentials. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week, I give tithes, and all. Oh, yeah, did the Pharisees ever. They, they knew the scriptures, they were faithful in their tithing, they were evangelists crossing over lands to, to, to bring one convert uh, into their religious system, but religion at the end of the day emit, emits a foul stench, doesn't it? It pays a rotten dividend, and worse still, it adds to your bill, taking you deeper and deeper into debt. If you're trying to pay for your righteousness before God, it's only adding to your debt. And couldn't this be a wonderful day for you if you think that somehow that God will receive me because of what efforts I put forward, that you would be relieved of that exhausting, like, a, like being on an elliptical machine that goes nowhere spiritually, to be released from that, to know the wonders of his grace, to know that through Jesus Christ, by faith in him alone, I can pass from death to life. And no condemnation would ever fall upon me. Religion insists that we earn by merit what can never be earned. And if we don't repent, our heart becomes incredibly hard. Who were the hardest people for Jesus to reach? Those entrenched in their own religion. And I think that's important too, you know, as we, as we move on in life, as we get older, I would just say to all of us who are, <laughs> we're all getting older, but as we, some of us are getting into old age, that we would never lose the wonder of God's word. We would never stop allowing it to confront us with truth. We're never too old to repent and to get right with God. And I pray that we would respond to that whenever we hear the truth. This, these deadening effects of religion bring an awful dividend. 
and bring a judgmental spirit. The religious provide their own redemption. They make their own redeemer who will change with the comfort level that they want. And so I I would pray that those who know this church family, that they would see all of us growing in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ being conformed into his image by the way we love one another, by the way we're committed to one another, by the way we love those outside the church in this community, that we're not a, a group of people who have it all together. We don't, do we? We don't. We have nothing to boast about except Jesus Christ and His grace. And that that would be a magnet in the days, of come, days to come. And I've been praying as this pandemic lifts that God would give us open doors into needy hearts, into who knows what's been going on for the last two years in people's lives. And those that are sinners, because there's no place that we would rather them be, because that all of us share that in common, apart from Jesus Christ, that's exactly what we are, that sinners would come into this gathering to hear the word, to see a family that functions, not perfectly, but healthy, and that God's love is on display. I was reminded um, on this point of, of that kind of love. Uh, Gordon Kleinard once shared that he was served by a waitress and she had a, a tattoo on her arm that read simply, Charlie. And so Kleinard had, had developed a rapport with her through the course of the meal and um, he, he said, Who, who's Charlie? And she kind of looked down and said, well, that was one night and I was drunk and one thing led to another. And, um, but I'm married to this wonderful man named Richard now. And he asked me about it once, and I told him, and uh, he doesn't even seem to notice it anymore. And so, you know, I'm just thinking about the love and grace of God among his people, that while we want to be honest with sin, it drives us to a Savior who's received all of us because all of us, that, that's, our, that's our DNA, that is our, our story, and what has changed the path for us is God's grace So boasting reveals our greatest problem, and that is pride, and the cross is the pride buster. Notice with me, secondly, we contribute nothing to our salvation. It's excluded. We can't boast. By what kind of law? By the law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that no one is justified by faith apart from the works of Uh, One is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So through the act of obedience of Christ, he earned our salvation through his sinless life and through his passion where he suffered for us once and for all. He earned our salvation through his life, death, and resurrection. He was the forerunner, the trailblazer that we are to follow. I was thinking of Hebrews 6 where it says in verses 9 through 20, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. He has bore our sins. We contribute nothing. I was reminded of the burden that he bore. You ever think of the detail of Christ? In the garden where he says, if this cup can pass from me, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. 
and he ultimately goes to the cross. And it says in the New Testament that he became sin, that we might know the righteousness of God. What he bore, what he bore, Douglas O'Donnell helped me with this. Um, Just imagine what the weight of the sins of the world felt like. We know the weight of ours in, in part when we are really bothered by it. But the weight of all the sin of all the world? Just imagine what the weight of the sins of the world felt like. Just imagine the one man who knew no sin being made to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Ready for the list? That I pray would lead us to worship? For the sins of abortion? Adultery, anxiety, arrogance, backbiting, bearing false witness, bitterness, blasphemy, boasting, bribery, complaining, coveting, contention, coarse joking, deceit, defrauding others, despising the poor, dishonoring the government, disregarding the Lord's people on the Lord's day, disrespecting your parents and elders, envy, evil thoughts, fornication, fortune-telling, fraud, gambling, giving grudgingly or giving, not giving at all, gluttony, gossip, greed, harsh words, hating your brother or sister, holding a grudge, idleness, idolatry, immodesty, losing your temper, lust, lying, malice, murder, prayerlessness, racism, Rage, rape, resisting the Holy Spirit, returning insult for insult, rioting, scoffing, selfish ambition, showing favoritism, slander, sloth, speaking idle words, stealing, unlawful divorce, violence, witchcraft, loving the world, loving yourself, not loving your neighbor or your enemy or fellow Christian or God, to name a few sins. For all those and more, just imagine what the weight of the sins of the world felt like to the sinless Son of God. You see, nothing reveals the weight of our sins like the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Nothing reveals the mercy of God like the sufferings of Jesus. Nothing reveals our absolute inability to save ourselves like the sufferings of Jesus. And thus something of our heartfelt thanks offered up to him is more than appropriate, don't you think? Through his saving work, my situation and yours has been reversed. He bore it all and all to him we owe. And so this good news slaughters pride. The only righteousness we possess is self-righteousness, which will never save And so this good news excludes boasting of any kind. Embracing this truth is vital to true worship in living the Christian life. So thirdly, let me emphasize this. Only by faith can we benefit from God's salvation. He says, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So how can I get this sin-bearing work and redemption of Christ into my life? By faith. Receiving the knowledge of who Jesus is, agreeing with that knowledge, 
and then trusting him with your heart right now, calling out to him, calling out to him. It's not by the works of the law. It's apart from the works of the law. It's by faith in him. Is that not simple? We want to do 10,000 things, and God says, believe on my son. For as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. What does that mean? Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me has everlasting life. What does that mean? Well, all the things we've been looking at, the redemption, the the justification being declared righteous in the courtroom of God in heaven, God's wrath propitiated so that we, we don't bear that at all. Christ bore it once and for all. No condemnation, forgiveness, all of our sins in the past, all of our sins in the present, all of the sins in the future, our position with Christ is secure. But not only that, Jesus not only died for our sins, but in Romans 4 it says he was given over for our transgressions and raised again for our justification. He's a living Savior. And that came so fresh to me this week as I drove to Mississippi for the funeral of a dear sister. Gwen and I remember Tom and Kay Bentley we were in our 20s. I think I was in my 20s. She was in her 30s. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'll pay for that one. But I was just remembering those younger years to have an older couple pour into our life. Well, Kay went to heaven this, this week. And so Tom called me. He's 80, 89. And to go and to stand in that cemetery in rural Mississippi and anticipate what it means to be a blood-bought believer because in this life, until he comes, our spirit goes to be with the Lord. And that is precious and dear and comforting. But that's not the full hope. The full hope is a resurrection body that one day Kay Bentley will rise again with a body to live eternity with our Savior and the redeemed of God. That is our hope. That is salvation. Not only to take you through this life, but to live in hope for the one to come. Is that your hope? Is, it, is that what you're trusting in? Well, I think there might be another. No, there's not. There's not. The way to salvation is a narrow road. And it's not one of boasting. It's one of pointing to him continually through our life. I was drawn to a statement in Jeremiah 9. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. I thought maybe a 
an important way to enter into our responding in faith this morning would be what we read about in First um, Peter, to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. What does that look like in a gathering like this? I think it means to be still and to say, Lord, I don't have any merit in myself, no good works of my own. I lean completely on what you've done through Jesus Christ. I humble myself before you. I have nothing to brag about. All my accomplishments need to point to you and the strength that you've given. Why don't we do that now? Why don't we corporately bow our heads and humble ourselves before the Lord? Lord, we humble ourselves before you this morning. We acknowledge that we have nothing to brag about. You've given us some successes in life. You've brought blessings to our life, but Lord, they're they're gifts from you. You've given us talents and abilities, but we're only to offer them in praise to you. And how silly and foolish it is to think that in light of what you've done through your son Jesus Christ that we would even dare to think that we could earn our salvation. So we humble ourselves right now and for some that means responding in faith to the burden and conviction of sin and their need to declare their allegiance and faith in you alone. May that come now. For other ways that you've brought conviction through the unleashing of your word, I pray that we would respond accordingly. Dear Lord God Almighty, we pray as we come to the end of this service that we would do so in faith for believers to surrender in the obedience of faith in our life things that need to be corrected and changed for those that are without Christ today that they would see that this is an important moment right now today is the day of salvation and they would bow before you our rightful king lead us now we pray in these moments in Jesus name amen